It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot. Here's Corey Davis, wide open. Davis. Still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it's time for part two of our breakdown of the Jets 2021 offseason with Jim Garrity, senior political correspondent for National Review and, of course, contributor at playlikeajet.com. Yesterday, Jim, we talked about the hiring of Robert Sala. We talked about free agency. Now let's talk a little bit about what the Jets did in the NFL draft. A lot of people very happy with what the Jets did, especially the first four rounds. What would you think? Were you happy with the Zach Wilson selection? Would you have gone with a different quarterback? Would you have kept Darnold? What about Elijah Vera Tucker? Did you like the trade up? I was among those who were like, oh, you know, we didn't, when we, you know, end up with the second pick, oh, we missed out on Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence is going to be the, uh, the all world, uh, you know, next, you know, John Elway or, you know, oh God, you know, how did we lose that? I was bummed. I'm not going to, not going to, not going to lie about that. I will note though, that, you know, as the season ended and we started looking at them, I have one nagging doubt about star quarterbacks who come out of the draft. And it's not just the, you know, Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf anecdote. That sometimes two guys who look to be superstars, one can turn into a genuine superstar Hall of Famer and the other one can turn into a, you know, infamous, uh, you know, legendary flop. Um, if you're the starting quarterback for Clemson, nine times out of 10 throughout the season, your offensive line is going to be better than the other guy's defensive line. Your running game is going to be better than the other team's defense. Your wide receivers are going to be better than the cornerbacks of the other team um now obviously sometimes they won't man you know trevor lawrence did not win the the national championship um he actually got outdueled by justin fields in that uh in that you know uh, college playoff game so but it's one of those things where i kind of wonder if a trevor lawrence type you, you have a successful college quarterback who's been phenomenal his whole college career and who may not have even had ever had like a two-game losing streak right they've always had kind of the wind at their back they've always been surrounded by better talent than their opponents If you're getting drafted in the first five draft picks of the draft, you're going to a team that's really lousy. You're going to a team that probably doesn't have a particularly good offensive line. You're going to a team that probably doesn't have a lot of skilled position players. And this is where uh, Sam Darnold listening to this podcast is saying, Hey, I know how that feels. (laughs) You know, that was, that was a Sam Darnold story, which he was basically put in this situation with minimal talent around him. And then when he did develop talent like Robbie Anderson, it walked out, you know, that talent walked out the door. Um, so I, I do kind of wonder if Trevor Lawrence might not quite be that all. I, I kind of wonder how t- Trevor Lawrence will handle adversity in Jacksonville. I wonder how he will handle when things don't go his way for a long stretch. And, you know, maybe the fans start grumbling and, and all that kind of stuff, just because he hasn't been in that earlier in his career. And that's part of the, the learning curve of a rookie. 
Um, I didn't think the Jets should keep Darnold, and I was late to that conclusion. It, I All throughout 2020, I really wanted to figure out some way to salvage this, uh, the enormity of the draft capital that puts a Jet in, that put into Darnold. I think Darnold was the ultimate good soldier. Um, he always did what he was supposed to do. He always said the right things. He always... Uh, there was never any sense of his discontent or grumbling about the coaching and, or, you know, and he certainly would have any legitimate gripes there. Um, I just feel like Darnold three years of disappointment. It's very tough to overcome it in your fourth one. It's very, and the expectations, if the jets hadn't picked a quarterback, well, then it's not just that the expectations would be high on Darnold. It'd be expectations. Well, how do you compare to the quarterbacks they could have taken with that second overall pick? I think Sam Darnold has the potential to still to be a good quarterback in this league. I think after three years, we can say he's not going to be John Elway. He's not going to be um, Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers or Brady or Russell Wilson. He's he's got potential to be a good quarterback. He's got potential to be Kirk Cousins. I run to put a, you know a, a useful comparison uh, for Jets fans. He can be good, and if Carolina surrounds him with a good offensive line and a running game that can help ease the pressure on him and some good receivers then yeah, Sam Donald should be fine. I, I think he may not necessarily live up to the, the billing of a third overall pick for a quarterback, but you know sometimes that stuff is tough. So I'm fine with the Jets trading him. And I just want to observe, man, when Joe Douglas can get a two, a four, and a six you know, round, you know, round picks for, for Darnold, and Julio Jones just gets a two and a four? Are you kidding me? Joe Douglas, Joe Douglas is robbing these teams blind. You know That and two number ones for Jamal Adams? Well, so... Uh, you know, the trade, I can't complain at all. That was a phenomenal value for Darnold. And I hope he, I, other than week one, I hope he has great success down there in Carolina. Um, I think he got a raw deal from Jets management and how the team uh, managed him. I think the moment, we look back and say, Sam Darnold never had a chance at true success in the NFL the moment the Jets hired Adam Gase to be his head coach. And that wasted two years of his rookie contract and destined him to be in that. And I would not be surprised in the slightest if Sam Darnold has a Ryan Tannehill-esque resurrection in Carolina. Um, so, it was, you know, as for the, the selections before them, I, for most of it, I would have been fine with Fields. I would have been, and I'm fine with uh, Wilson. In fact, it's very tough not to fall in love with the baby-faced, uh, <laughs> what's the nickname now? Mormon Missile? Uh, whatever they're, they're calling him out there. You know, that he's just this, um, uh, does everything right, says all the right things. Uh, the highlight reel is phenomenal. I, I guess I watched the bowl game that they were in sometime on Christmas week with my dad. And it was just like a man amongst boys. It just, you know, it, it, the, the game, watching the game wasn't that different from watching the highlight reel because almost every play. And I, I think, you know, BYU is beating East Nowhere State or something like that. Yes, the opposition wasn't, you know, all that tough. Yes, Mel Kuyper Jr. is correct that uh, the, uh, the, the, the opposition schedule had so many cupcakes, it'll give you diabetes. You know, it's yeah, granted, you know, but you still look at it. You look at the tape. You're like, OK, uh, he looks fine. If the Jets had taken Justin Fields, I would not have been upset about that at all. I think the toughness we saw from Fields in that college playoff game was just off the charts. I mean, they, you know, he he took a shot to his rib cage that you were like, look, you're waiting to see pieces of Justin Fields shattered around the field. And somehow not only does he physically hold himself together, he's got the mental toughness on like, the, like two plays later to throw a touchdown pass. It was you know, Justin Fields has guts by the bucket fill, and it's not just because all those guts got knocked out from that shot he took in that game. Um, I think the Bears are going to love him. I think he's got enormous potential uh, to be another, you know, mobile, strong-armed uh, Deshaun Watson-esque figure 
uh, in the NFL. So I wouldn't have minded that. I, I, I don't really object to selecting Wilson over uh, Fields. And uh, I, I don't know if, I don't think the epilepsy should have been a, a major factor in that, but uh, I have high hopes. I do think I would like to see the Jets uh, go out and sign a veteran backup just to have somebody. And I understand probably you, you would have figured by now there, there are a bunch of moves that haven't happened yet. And I kind of, you know, my, my attitude is generally if they haven't happened by now, they're, they're not going to happen. Um, but you would have figured if, if, if Chicago wanted to trade Nick Foles, they would have done it by now. I'd love to have Nick Foles as like the veteran backup to help uh, Zach Wilson. But I'll actually I'll put the question to you, Scott. Has any quarterback, quote unquote, mentored by Nick Foles actually turned out OK? It's not really a situation where I think he was mentoring anybody. He came in there, I think, really to put heat on Mitch Trubisky more so than mentor him. And as far as what he oh, was Oh, well, he doing, did that well. You were right. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I don't think he came in there as a mentor. He was there to compete with Trubisky for the job. And then you take a look at what happened in Philly. He came in after Wentz was drafted, so it's not like Foles was sitting there waiting to mentor him. And then you take a look at what happened in the other spots in Jacksonville. He wasn't there to be a mentor. He was there to be the starting quarterback. So I don't think that Nick Foles has ever been asked to be a mentor. And I think that that's sort of an overrated thing. Yeah, it's fine. You looked and saw what Josh McCown did with Sam Darnold. That was cool. But if they could just get, as you said, somebody like Nick Foles who just won't embarrass embarrass you when he has to go out there and play for a few games it reminds me of that scene in the program where they're talking about getting the backup quarterback back into school he'd been kicked out of school because they caught him cheating on a test or something he said we need him back because he's good enough to at least get us a split over the next four games while we wait for our other quarterback who is in rehab to come out of rehab yes if you've never seen the movie everybody in the movie is extremely screwed up as you can tell from my description but that's really all you need with the Jets yeah. as a backup quarterback you need somebody who can at least keep you competitive for a couple of games while your starter is out if he's going to miss any significant period of time if it's more than a couple of games you're probably screwed anyway so at that point it doesn't matter but regardless of the backup quarterback it sounds like you've got two thumbs high in the air for Joe Douglas right now talk to me a little bit about what you think of the job he's done so far and then any shortcomings any areas where you think he's missed a little bit Sure. Um, I mean, by the way, I should, I should just kind of keep walking through the uh, uh, the draft there. I had no problem whatsoever with the uh, trade up to get Elijah Vera Tucker. I'm surprised how much grief it's getting. I, you know, there was a time in the past where I think I was like, ah, you know, accumulate picks, you know, more more throws in the dartboard or something. Scott, you and I have seen so many Jets drafts go terribly wrong. <laughs> Where, you know, the first, you know, like, like uh, McKagan, you know, the first pick would go fine. You know, you're, you're uh, Leonard Williams and you're, you're uh, Jamal Adams, and I guess you could throw Darnold in there. But, you know, generally, the se- you know, first of all, the Jets are legendarily bad in the second round. And honestly, you know, for most teams, fourth round and later is a crapshoot. If you can find a decent starter, that's considered a, a really good day. Um, and the Jets have all kinds of late round guys who never amounted to much of anything. And so the idea of, well, if you're building up your fours, fourth round picks and five, fifth round picks and sixes and sevens, well, I'm like, great, but these are just end of the roster guys. So if you think about it, like, you know, who, like, where do you get your stars? Well, generally in the first, you know, three rounds and a lot of first round guys turn out to be really good players. Yeah, there are misses. But, you know, there's a reason these guys get picked first because they're seen as the safest bet. And Elijah Vera Tucker, by a lot of measures, was the best interior offensive lineman available in 2021. And somehow, some way, the Jets figured out a way to go up and get him. That's phenomenal. 
I'm I'm perfectly fine with that because he put him next to Mecky Becton. Oh my goodness! All of a sudden, we've got a left side of the line that looks solid uh, compared to a line that looked like a turnstile at various points in the last three years. So I'm I'm thrilled to pieces with that. You go into round two, and the night you know, the only good news about finishing so badly that you're picking second overall is that your second round pick is really kind of like another first round pick because you're picking 34th, right? You're picking the same. And every year there's at least somebody who dropped down. And there's a lot of talk that the Jets were going to, you know, trade down or something like that. But, you know, Elijah Moore is just sitting there. And, oh, my God, this guy reminds me of Santana Moss. I mean, yeah, he's not huge, but, man, he's spe- he's got, you know, speed to burn. You put the ball in his hands. He's quick, got all kinds of you know, lateral movement, great agility, as, uh, as you know, Mel Kuyper Jr. would put it. And the Jets just haven't had a player like that. We- we've got good receivers. But, you know, Scott, you and I have talked about, I grew up in the era of Al Toon and Wesley Walker and just, you know, Jets receivers who seem to have wings on their feet, right? And that's that's what I'm used to. And I think that's Jets football. That's all gas, no breaks, right? So uh, adding Elijah Moore to that wide receiver room, now all of a sudden, not only do you have, you know, five deep good guys, we haven't even gotten into like, you know, Braxton Berrios or somebody like that. Um, you've got, you know, not only have five good guys, I also like the fact that they're all kind of distinct and different styles. Yeah, technically Elijah Moore is a slot receiver and so is uh, Crowder, but um, I just feel like the way they, the style of their games is different. You got some big guys, you got some smaller guys, you got some fast guys. You have a variety of types of threats to throw at the defense, and I think it's going to do right. And then fourth round, and what again, pick number 107, which really is closer to being a third round pick, they picked Michael Carter. A lot of folks had picked the Jets picking a, a, a running back in here. I was not, but. but Scott, did it drive you crazy every time you'd see a mock draft and the Jets were picking a running back with their second of their first two round, second first round pick? Yes, very much so. I mean, we're not picking Travis Etienne. We're not picking uh, uh, who's the great kid? Oh, uh, Najee Harris. He's been, they're great players, but the Jets just had too many other big press. Like, here's the thing: we learned from Le'Veon Bell. If you have, it doesn't matter what kind of running back you have. If you don't have an offensive line that can create uh, that can create holes for him. So, of course, the Jets needed to at least take one step to build the line, if not several steps before you, you know, start putting resources into running backs. Um, now, I'll be honest, and again, I'm not going to pretend to know that much beyond, uh, let's say, those first four rounds. You know, a lot of them, Sherwood, uh, Hamra, Nasli, they seem like steals. People are saying good things about them. Sounds great. Michael Carter, I think we're just going to create endless confusion. Um, but it's kind of neat to have two guys. You know, again, we do finally have another, and a lot of these guys who were listed as safeties probably can play slot cornerback. Uh, Pinnock looks like he could be good. Um, you know, you just look at all this stuff. Like, you know, again, I, I'm a little surprised they haven't signed a veteran, either Nelson from Pittsburgh or, uh, I, I, by the way, if you'd said to me years ago, did you want um, uh, Legion of Boom in San Francisco? Uh, Richard Sherman. I'm blanking. Yeah, if, if, if you do you want Sherman on the Jets, I think I didn't like his attitude. I thought he was kind of, you know, a uh, bit of a bit of a head case, bit of an ego case. Now I'd love to have him in part because, you know, when Parcells came to the Jets, I think he brought over Pepper Johnson. Um, obviously, Curtis Martin was the most famous one. He brought over like three or four former Giants and former Patriots. And it always makes sense for coaches who like to have their guys. Guys who are there, who are very, you know, established. I, I would see Sherman as another guy who would say, hey, this is the Robert Sala way of doing it. And he would just kind of establish this presence, this mood, this style, attitude, expectations. Um, so I'd be fine for it. It sounds like he wants to go to a contender. The Jets do not look like a contender right now. 
Um, he wants to stay on the West Coast. Doesn't look like, you know, like there's a whole bunch of reasons it doesn't make that much sense. And it sounds like based on the, the offseason uh, training, the OTAs, the Jets are kind of happy with rolling with the guys they've got and seeing what happens. And uh, we'll see. It's possible that this is a uh, major liability for the team. But I think there's an attitude of let's get enough young, fast cornerbacks out there and let's see if any of them can cover. And, uh, you know, with any luck, some of them will. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Any thoughts on Woody Johnson coming back? I, I, like everyone else, I do find it weird that the Jets are playing in London this year. It always would have made sense to have them play any one of the past four years when Woody Johnson was uh, U.S. ambassador to uh, the United Kingdom. Um, I think you could say the Chris Johnson era has been was a catastrophic disaster. Um, and I don't know how much like the, 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 the obviously he was the one who made the decision to hire Adam Gase. He was the one who ignored who listened to apparently Peyton Manning and apparently no one else in the whole wide world on that decision. Um, so by that standard, Woody Johnson, I'm, I'm welcoming back with open arms. I, I noticed Woody Johnson is now active on Twitter and he just puts these like very generic, happy, you know, let's go team statements. And I'm, mm-hmm. he's winning me over. I kind of like these, uh, you know, this, 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 you know, soft spoken, happy talk from there. So I, I look, there was a, at, at the depths of the Gase era, it looked like the Jets were doomed to be a bottom feeding franchise for the you know, foreseeable future because ownership seemed to have no idea how to put together an organization, no idea who to hire, blind faith in people that there was no reason. Like, the other thing is like, you, you know, the idea of like, you know, not only was Adam Gase not good, the recognition that his relationship with Greg Williams would be combustible. Um, it's, it's like putting together, you know, baking soda and uh, uh, vinegar. It's like, oh my God, it exploded. You know, well, everybody knows this, those two things are, are very volatile, you know, put them together. So um, I, I feel, look, there's good reason to feel optimistic about the future of the franchise. But Scott, we shouldn't say that. That's not saying that much when the team is so clearly hit bottom the way it did last year. And I guess what I'm kind of, the, the, the one thing that's nagging at me is one, we're still generally, you know, grading Joe Douglas based on potential. The draft books look good. Some of his free agent the free agent signings this year look good. Last year, eh, not so great. Perriman was was kind of letting Robbie Anderson walk was a pretty glaring mistake. Um, the way the team handled Le'Veon Bell does not seem you know particularly encouraging. Although I guess that was kind of you know predates Douglas. Um, you know, it, it, it was very weird the hiring of Douglas after free agency in the draft put Douglas in a situation where a chunk of his first year, he didn't really have any leverage. Remember they had like, it was a Khalil they were bringing in at center and it didn't work out very well. Um, You know, I think we can say Connor McGovern was kind of underwhelming in that first year. Not every free agency signing is made has been a dynamic selection here. Um, Everyone kind of recognizes the scale of the job he had, but I think we as Jet fans are generally saying, and Joe Douglas, we trust kind of because we have to. Um, we don't want to recognize the possibility that Joe Douglas will not live up to the hopes fans have for him. And the second thing is, you know, with the 17-game season, the good news is we know the Jets won't go 500 um, <laughs> because it's uh, unless they tie a game, I suppose. But I don't know. We know the Jets will probably be better than two and 14. Well, la di da. That's that's you know probably as close to the bottom as you can get. Yeah, how much better will the Jets be? And I've seen a whole bunch of folks who are looking at, you know, like five and 12 or six and 11. And Scott, I wouldn't, if it's six and 12 and Zach Wilson looks fantastic and this team looks like it's ready to go raring to, you know, roaring into 2022, I'll be okay with it. But I kind of feel like 
Uh, this this fan base has just been so starved for so long and I had to suffer through a 2020 season. You know, first of all, it's very advantageous for the Jets organization that fans were not allowed into MetLife Stadium because the booze and the, uh, you know, gays must go chants and all that kind of stuff would have been a major, you know, public relations headache for the team. And just kind of this recognition of just how much like, I, I'd really like to see the Jets come close to 500 this year. And I know the schedule is kind of tough and they got some tough stretches there and all that kind of stuff. But, like, you know, with so many improvements, so much in talent, so much change from this, I really want to have a team that's competitive and I'm not sure I'm going to get it this year. So that's my – I said this is the best offseason I've felt, but there's still that lingering anxiety because I'm a Jets fan, Scott. I've had all the optimism beaten out of me. <laughs> that's what you want to happen. You want the Jets to be about 500. But what are your reasonable expectations for this team and for Zach Wilson? Early on in Darnold's rookie season, which was only three seasons ago. It's hard to believe, you know. Um, we remember the, you know, the, the, the rapid uh, lows and highs of that opening game against Detroit on Monday night, the pick six on his first throw in the NFL, and then coming back and just looking fantastic. Or, you know, very, if not fantastic, then very solid for the rest of that game. Um, I think that, that, you know, first game against Carolina, you know, because it's a rematch against Darnold, because of, you know, all the hype that's going to be around that, I think it's going to really, um, it's going to set, that's going to be clearly Wilson's first impression. And if he does well in that, I think they'll be, wow, the Jets. If he doesn't play well, which is, you know, for rookies, you always have that opportunity that, that you know, there's always that risk. Um, the schedule only gets tougher from there. And I think, you know, everyone's saying the right things about Zach Wilson right now, which is great. Uh, it sounds like he's got the perfect head for the game. It sounds like his arm can make all the throws. Um, I guess the thing is that, you know, when you look back at for the, the Gase years, so much of a typical Jets drive would be, running Gore up the middle and getting like a yard if they're lucky. Then a holding penalty. Starting it out again, uh, you know, Darnold being, uh, you know, rushed and either sacked or having to force a throw uh, on, on second down. And then it's like third and 15. And then Darnold would throw well short of the sticks to Braxton Berrios. It was just one of those things like the, the offense always seemed to be going backwards, right? Everything about this offense is now designed to go deep downfield. All of these fast receivers, all of these big receivers, right? This much better offensive line that should give Zach Wilson more time to throw. All of this put together, um, I mean, look, you know, like better than last year is about the lowest bar you could possibly clear. I, I really would like to see, you know, minimum 3,000. Actually, the first thing is if Zach Wilson is never benched this year, I think it's a good sign. There was a stretch of that first season where uh, you know, T- Darnold got hurt, but he also been playing badly. And I think there was just this general sense that he needed to sit for a bit. Um, and I think if there's a sense of uh, he's going to take his lumps, uh, I, I you know dread those early games against uh, uh, New England, um, and and Denver's not a not an easy defense either. Uh, you throw all that stuff together, like, he could have a you know, he could go one and three in, in September, and that would worry me a little bit. I think ideally we go two and two or something. Um, he could have a you know three or four game losing streak in there, and that could be a, a real rough patch for him. Um, I think you know how he does how he looks in November and December is going to actually teach us more than how he goes through those first couple uh, of you know rough 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 patches, long road games, playing in London, things like that. So, um, you know, I, I guess I want this team to look like a competitive football team, which it really hasn't looked like, uh, certainly not in 2020. And I think we could agree that the 2019 back half was against teams that were less than ideal and banged up and 
not all that competitive. So I mean, if you really want to, I want something that makes me feel like at minimum 2016, uh, which feels like a generation ago. And that team didn't even make the playoffs, but at least fits you know uh, Fitzpatrick and uh, Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker were giving the Jets an offense that was you know something to be feared and that had a really good chance of putting up 22, 20, you know, 21, 28, 30 some points a game, which I think would be a big indicator of, you know, how the Jets are doing in what is now a very offense-minded scoring lead. I would love to see the Jets be much more competitive this year. I'd love to see them win more games than I'm expecting. But ultimately, Jim, how I feel is if they can give me an entertaining offense to watch and if Zach Wilson looks good in his rookie year, everything else beyond that is a bonus. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is also that because, like, you know, there were people debating, are the Jets an offense, uh, an attractive job for a head coach? <laughs> Look, do you, you know, Scott, do you think it's tough to follow Adam Gase? <laughs> you, know, like, you, you walk in through the door and the fan base not only loves you, I figure they're going to be pretty patient. You know, like, I mean, how bad would Salah have to be just by sheer virtue of his personality? I think, uh, you know, Sala walks, yeah, has the fan base happier and more. Even if he gets off to a rough start, he just has a better pedigree. People trust him, right? If there are growing pains, and there probably will be growing pains, people will say, all right, Sala, you know, I don't think Sala will get in trouble until, you know, if, if in two years there's no signs of progress, then you might see Robert Sala in trouble. Um, but he's got like, I was going to say 32, but I realized we're not in a 16 game season anymore. Uh, he's got 34 games to start showing he can turn the Jets into a legitimate, consistent winner. And that's not even necessarily a playoff team, even though I think, you know, expectations of the playoffs in 2022 are certainly reasonable. And I'd at least like to see the Jets in the discussion in November and December. That's all we can ask for at this point. Jim Garrity, senior political correspondent for National Review, and of course a contributor at playlikeajet.com. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your off-season thoughts and, of course, your expectations for the 2021 season with me. Really appreciate it. For those that want to check out everything that you're doing and interact with you on social media, how can they do that? I am uh, found on Twitter, at Jim Garrity. Uh, for obvious reasons, most of my football talk is uh, during the regular season. Uh, I'm also at National Review. If you're into the political stuff, I have a pop culture podcast with Mickey White that I haven't taped in a while, which will be getting back into the swing of things. And um you know, uh, you know, Scott, I think the best way to summarize my attitude towards the season is to quote the wise philosopher Bartholomew Scott. Can't wait. Indeed, indeed. A lot of us can't wait. And if you can't wait to talk to Jim about some Jets football, you can do that on Twitter at Jim Garrity. And you check out everything we're doing at playlikeajet.com. In fact, Jim contributes for us from time to time. He's written some fun articles. He'll have some more for us coming up in the next couple of months once things start to get hot with training camp and the regular season. So make sure you check that out and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. Luke Grant's got some great film reviews up, including both Michael Carters, Michael Carter and Michael Carter II, plus Elijah Moore, Zach Wilson, and a bunch of others. Kayla Pace's commentaries, Pace's playbook, also up there. So go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. And give us a five-star review on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com.